Welcome to Franchise Marketing Radio, brought to you by SEO Samba, comprehensive high-performing marketing solutions for mature and emerging franchise brands. To supercharge your franchise marketing, go to seosamba.com. That's S-E-O-S-A-M-B-A dot com. Lee Cantor here, another episode of Franchise Marketing Radio, and this is going to be a good one. Today we have with us Thomas Flaherty with Buffalo Wings and Rings. Welcome, Thomas. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Well, I'm excited to learn what you're up to. Tell us a little bit about Buffalo Wings and Rings. How are you serving folks? Sure. Uh, well, that's a loaded question uh, these days, obviously, in the uh, pandemic environment, how we're serving people. But I'll tell you a little bit about us and we can get into some details. Um, obviously, we're based in Cincinnati, Ohio. We started in 1984, so we've been around for quite a while, but continuously improving uh, and evolving the brand, which we could talk about a little bit more, um, the things that we're doing to evolve. We really try to separate ourselves from the competition. I mean, obviously, there are a lot of kind of sports bars or sports restaurants uh, out there in the world, and we really try to separate ourselves by making it really more of a uh, sports restaurant and bar with a, a club-level experience. Um, so the club level implies, you know, it's a bit of a higher expectation in terms of service, higher expectations in terms of uh, food quality. Um, so that's one really big thing about us. It's really a chef inspired menu. Uh, obviously, we have great wings, uh, but a, a full complement of items on our menu. Um, you know, we're open to all and, and really, as I mentioned, focus on VIP service. Uh, so that's really the differentiators with us. And we've got 85 global locations uh, based in Cincinnati, but we've got locations not only across the U.S., mostly in the Midwest, the South, you know, Texas, Florida, a couple locations in California. Um, and then we have locations in Europe and the Middle East as well. And we're getting ready to launch Mexico this year. So a lot going on. So now what was the genesis of the idea? How did the restaurant come into being? Was it was it kind of started as a mom and pop and then organically grew or was it built to be a franchise all along? No, it, it, to your point, it was definitely a mom and pop. It was uh, built on the premise of, you know, having a local kind of sports bar restaurant uh, environment. Um, it was started in 1984, as I mentioned, and then it was acquired by the new, new ownership in 2005. Um, and at that point, they really saw that this is a good burgeoning brand and, and uh, restaurant, and it looks like something that could be franchisable. And, and they have definitely focused on growing that. Uh, but it started out as an individually owned location in Cincinnati, Ohio. So now what were the characteristics of it where um, you guys said, hey, you know what, this is something that's scalable that we'll be able to replicate in other markets? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, I think everybody can solidly say the U.S. and really the world uh, has a passion for sports and a passion for connecting around good food and sports. Um, so for us, it was really, in addition to the sports, just again, fo focusing on great quality food. Um, and then really, when the new ownership took it over, uh, they went from kind of that mom and pop feel and, and personality and management that, uh, that you were talking about early, earlier and then said, how do we scale this? How do we really make it a franchisable model? So starting to focus on things like a scalable uh, down to the point of sale system, the brand itself, the menu, uh, how to consistently deliver great food and good quality. Um, 
and just I think you know the, the overarching premise for us is not only sports restaurant and bar and notice I say sports restaurant uh, we focus on being a restaurant first not just a sports bar we do have a bar element of course um, but focusing on how we can make that consistent uh, higher end and replicable. So now what are some ways that you do kind of push that value curve and and that kind of premium service club level I mean you're using very specific words to kind of connotate uh, an experience that seems above what a lot of people maybe have in their mind or expect in this type of a restaurant. Right. Yeah. I think you see it and you feel it, right? So when you go into one of our locations, it's not just your typical, um, again, kind of bar where you have a bunch of TVs in there, um, you know, and kind of peanuts on the floor kind of an environment. It's more of a um, and we just created a new prototype design, so even further enhancing not only the, the look and feel, but the technology, et cetera. But the real focus is that quality service, the VIP service, as I said, and then the quality menu. So even down to the, the quality of the ingredients that we use, you know, fresh, never frozen products, uh, the flavor profile, consistently sensing with our customers, um, you know, what flavor profiles they like, even for evolution, right? Like ghost pepper and things like that are more of a new thing versus just a standard buffalo sauce if you will um and those are the really big elements the prototype design the menu and the service so now when it comes to uh service have you kind of cracked the code in terms of training in order to allow your franchisees to replicate and to um achieve that level of service i believe so uh you know i, I it's Everything is a loaded question in these times. I believe we have great systems in place. Let me start with that. We have great training and franchise support and a replicable model. Uh, as mentioned, kind of being in the pandemic or COVID-19 environment, um, you're always, we are always in a spirit of continuous improvement. So good is never good enough, if, if you will. Uh, but then in, in these times over the last year uh, or so, We've really had to say, what does that mean now? What does VIP service mean now? Uh, there's a lot more focus on off-premise, for example. Our new prototype design has a literally a, a valet pickup lane, so you don't even have to get out of your car. Um, so VIP service there or uh, curbside valet, where we'll come out to your car and, and help you there. Um, but focusing on how to package that well, how to interact with the guest when they're not coming into the, the environment in the, the restaurant where you have those TVs and again, kind of that upscale environment on the inside um, has been a bit of a shift. Uh, but, you know, again, I think that we have great service model. We have great training, but it good is never good enough. I mean, we're continuously just looking for ways to improve that, whether it's via a smiling face or new technology applications. So now going through COVID, did that, um, so you had to obviously make some changes. Did it, do you think any of those changes are kind of silver linings in the sense that, hey, this is something now we can incorporate or maybe we can do things that we were forced to do, but it might have legs that we'll be able to kind of uh, lean into that moving forward and create more opportunities down the road? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I believe that consumer habits will evolve, right? They went to mostly uh, or a large focus anyway on, on carry out delivery, not only with us, but for you know all restaurants, as you're well aware. Uh, but there are things that we learned through that process of 
are we doing the best job and how do we do the best job in terms of order accuracy, uh, customer engagement, customer satisfaction with the, the overall uh, experience down to the packaging. We have new packaging, um, you know, that really has been enhanced because of this environment that we're in. So there are a lot of things that we did to adapt um, to this environment that I think definitely will hold for the long term. Again, that focus on a, a valet pickup lane, that's not something that we historically were looking at. It was already, by the way, part of the prototype design. So we were looking at a new POS system, new technology, new elements. But I think it was very serendipitous for us that we had um, you know, those elements in place uh, in time for the pandemic. But then you realize, as everyone does, you know, the Mike Tyson thing, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Um, so we have a plan and had a plan. And I think we executed very well. And frankly, we, we fared very well uh, during the pandemic. We pretty quickly jumped on a uh, COVID-19 uh, response team and we created a strategic plan specifically for COVID-19 that had Three big elements, uh, survival, uh, rebound, and slingshot. Uh, so survival was, you know, as it says, how do we survive this? You know, what's going to happen? So just addressing the world. Rebound was, you know, when we start to come out of this, how do we evolve? Uh, and what will the new normal be? Um, and then slingshot is a very nerdy, nerdy uh, scientific reference that I use. Uh, you know, in the science community, you, you have a satellite or a spaceship, you know, orbit around a planet like the Earth and then use that momentum to slingshot you into space faster toward your target than you would have otherwise been going. So we kind of use this um, time during the last year to say, let's reassess all of our systems, policies, procedures, uh, even down to the franchise qualification process and things like that to really focus on how we slingshot and grow into the future. So there will definitely be elements out of this last year that survive while I believe, you know, some of the, you know, day parts will change. We've had stores that had limited hours because of COVID and they will open back up to longer hours. You've had distancing, so less in the store and more um, off-premise focus. Uh, but, you know, the technology, new point of sale system that we have, those things uh, will definitely carry on, but I think be executed in a different way than we originally planned. planned. But having that kind of as part of your culture and your DNA, this continuous improvement, this always kind of forward looking, right. uh, uh, that probably helped you thrive in a way that some other folks maybe struggled. It did. <clears throat> Indeed. I mean, you know, it's always been prepared for change, right? It's the only constant is change. Um, and I think that it, I give a lot of credit. I've been with the organization for a little over a year now. So we have my role, chief development officer with uh, real estate construction and franchising. We also have a chief operations officer that's been there for about a year. Um, so we both came in kind of right before everything uh, changed. <laughs> so it's been great for us to meld with the organization and learn about the organization while also bringing new ideas of how we can adhere to that spirit of continuous improvement, but use our experience to, to kind of uh, push us forward. But I give, give a lot of credit to our CEO, Nader Masada, who's really a, a forward-thinking person who wants to do great things and make positive impacts on people's lives. And that's a great kind of foundational value. Now, has... Um... Has this trickled down into your franchisees? Do you are those the kind of people you attract as well, or are these kind of uh, relentlessly optimistic, forward-thinking, uh, make it happen kind of people, so that you're able to kind of tap into their brain power and bubble up some 
ideas that from them as well. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I think any franchisor would be uh, kind of silly if they didn't listen uh, to the franchisees constantly. Uh, we have gotten a lot of great, and we have franchisees that are one unit operators and we have franchisees that are multi-unit operators. Some of them, this is their only business. Some of them they have multiple franchise or other brands. Um, so we have uh, as a matter of, of normal course, uh, and then we've certainly uh, utilized those to full potential, but we have as part of normal course, our franchise support and kind of normal interaction, business planning and business reviews. But we also have a franchise advisory council. So we've definitely been having in-depth conversations with the franchise advisory council. We have quarterly franchise webcasts, uh, which give us an opportunity to kind of come up to 50,000 and talk about the business and things that, that need to evolve. And we have literally weekly calls with all of our franchisees. We have a weekly call uh, every week. So that was a great opportunity for us to jump. You know, normally you're focusing on more tactical operations and marketing initiatives during that weekly call. Uh, and then when COVID hit, we really transferred that to a kind of COVID task force call uh, and an opportunity for us to, on a weekly basis, talk with our franchisees, get real-time input um, in the weekly calls, and then again, regurgitate out uh, from a more strategic level during the quarterly webcast and then in-depth conversations with our FAC as well, our Franchise Advisory Council. So now you mentioned uh, this new design, and we've talked a little bit about some innovation. So can you share a little bit about some of these innovative ideas that are uh, kind of coming up or on the roadmap? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, the radio audience won't be able to get the, uh, the picture in mind instantly, but I'll share some pictures with you. And then at the end, we can talk about our, our website address where they could see and learn more. Um, but it really starts on the outside. I mean, in and of itself, it's a brand new prototype design. Uh, so I think that new modern, fresh prototype design um, really makes a big impact from the outside, including, by the way, a, a, even a new logo, an evolved logo. Um, many brands, as you know, evolve their logo over time. So we this is part of the enhancement there. So from the exterior, a lot of good uh, visual elements, but also practical elements like that pull-up, you know, pickup valet that I talked about or the curbside valet. We've got kind of an expandable hangout area on the outside. Think of like a, a patio or a side area on the prototype model. It even has like artificial grass and um, cornhole boards and things like that for the outside. And then as you move inside, um, we've kind of reconfigured and, and reimagined how the restaurant could operate and, and evolve with the time. So we have a new U-shaped uh, bar. We used to have the bar was kind of in one side of the building and it was facing that one side of the building. Now we have a, a U-shaped bar, if you can imagine in your mind, um, you know, where you have people sitting on both sides of a bar with the bartenders and, and drinks on the inside of that. So people can even look at each other. So it's just, you know, really conducive for, you know, congregations or people to come together and, and really see each other and have fun and, of course, see the, the game or, uh, or experience different things. Uh, in that part of the, the area. And then we've separated kind of a central area that's a hybrid between the bar area and the restaurant um, itself. So it's a bit of a hybrid in that area. And then um, there's more of a traditional kind of restaurant area on the other side of that. Um, so even from the very beginning where you walk in, there's a brand wall 
uh, we call it on the back of that. So imagine you're walking into a restaurant and that whole back wall is a very large, you know, 15 foot tall new logo on the back of that. In the vestibule, when you walk in the, the restaurant, there's not only places for you to put, you know, national sports team paraphernalia or things like that, but there's things specifically about local, uh, whether it's local high school teams or, or local universities, things like that. You can um, display those items in that, that vestibule area. And then in the kitchen, um, really thinking about efficient use of space. I mean, we hired some even external um, folks to help us look at the best and most efficient way to, to have the equipment layout in the kitchen, as well as the people walking around and how to most effectively utilize their steps and the size of the walk-in coolers and things like that. So really a lot of thought going, going into every element of exterior and interior options. Wow. That's a uh, pretty ambitious. It is. Yeah. And it's exciting too. I mean, to see it come to life, we opened that, that new store and, October. Uh, and it's just done incredibly well. Again, opening in the pandemic wasn't a part of the original plan. And it's just done incredibly well. Uh, again, it, it was serendipitous that we had a lot of those elements that really fared well during this this time with new technology, new you know pickup options, curbside options, delivery, things like that. Now, you mentioned a little bit about how um, you're not just in the U.S. It's, it's kind of a, a global brand now. Can you talk about uh, your expansion plans internationally? Sure. Um, you know, we started growing uh, internationally a number of years ago. So, I mean, the, the owners, one of the, two of the owners, excuse me, are from uh, Jordan, and one of the order owners is from France uh, originally. So um, it's not surprising that they would start considering international development, and they did that pretty soon. Um, you know, again, the brand started in 1984, uh, but the new ownership started in 2015, um, excuse me, 2005. Um, so they they really early on said, we're going to start focusing on building some stores in Europe and the Middle East. Um, and then, like I said, we're getting ready to open Mexico uh, as well. And this will be our first foray into to Mexico this year. So that's pretty exciting. Uh, but we've got locations, you know, in, in Dubai and Jordan, Egypt, you know, a number of Middle Eastern markets, um, you know, Cyprus, Greece, um, and then Mexico coming later this year, which is pretty exciting. And they continue to grow internationally, uh, you know, the Middle East. It's interesting. They just opened a store in, in Iraq, uh, which is not naturally intuitive, but obviously a lot of growth and infrastructure building there as well. So I think we'll continue. We have a base of operations kind of out of the Middle East uh, for regional support and then a base of operations in Cincinnati to kind of support both of those. Now, uh, you mentioned the franchisee are, some of them are kind of single owners and some of them are kind of empire builders. Um, What do you look for in that ideal franchisee right now? You know, it's really both. I mean, our, our brand bodes well uh, whether you want to be an owner or an operator in any town USA, right, wherever you're from and where you're operating, you may already have, you know, a Papa John's or Wendy's or other brands in your market and you want to add on to your portfolio. Um, so we'll assess how many units that each local market will support and then uh, talk to folks whether they're interested in doing one or multiple um, most of our franchisees are in the kind of one, two, three store category, and then some are larger. So I would say the answer um, is both. We're looking for some markets that will only support 
uh, one store like a, a Campbellsville, Kentucky, for example. Um, that happens to be a multi-unit operator uh, who's doing multiple uh, areas in, in Kentucky. But at that size of a, a city, you would look at it. Maybe it could be an individual operator. And then I mentioned our uh, new expansion into Mexico. That franchisee has KFC and Carl's Jr., uh, Pizza Hut, IHOP, so a number of, kind of world-class brands already. Um, and we can make that investment you know, work and work with both of those um, whether it's an individual investment in unit economic perspective or a a multi-brand area manager kind of a model. Now, what are the characteristics of a a good market for you? So, you know, again, the the good thing about our brand overall is everybody, wherever you are, um, has, I think, a fervor and and excitement around sports. Um, So we typically look at kind of a, 40,000 population within kind of an eight to 10 minute drive area um, is how we look at it. If you go smaller than that, it's tough to make it uh, work. We do have, however, a number of freestanding locations. And then we also have uh, an in cap model focus, meaning if you don't want to buy the land and do the site work and build the building and everything, which is obviously a higher investment, you can do that so we can scale it. But typically about 40,000 people in about that eight or 10 minute drive area. Um, and then of course we look at the traffic generators and um, different elements, visibility, access, ingress, egress of the, the locations, um, different household incomes. I mean, this is a kind of a medium, a mid-scale restaurant. So, you know, the super high end is not what we're looking for. So a lot of the U.S., as you know, is uh, very fits very well for that model of more of a mid-scale um, investment in restaurant operation. So now if somebody wants to learn more, have more substantive conversation with you or somebody on your team, is there a website? Yeah, absolutely. And we'd be excited to talk with them. Um, you can go to own a Buffalo, O-W-N, ownabuffalo.com is our franchising website. And then our main website is buffalowingsandrings.com. And that's spelled out, right? Everything's spelled out? Correct. That's correct. And then they can get to the franchise stuff from that as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah. They own a Buffalo is specifically designated for franchising in our franchise qualification process, site criteria and things like that uh, included. And of course, contact information. Um, And we'll be happy to get back with uh, anyone interested and have a great conversation. Good stuff. Well, Thomas, thank you so much for sharing your story and congratulations on all the momentum and success. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time today. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We will see you all next time on Franchise Marketing Radio. (laughs) 